My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 68 of Cinepunks. 68, one less than the magic number. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what magic you're talking about. Cinepunks. Anyway. So, yes. So, welcome to a new episode of Cinepunks. Just want to say, uh, the last episode we spoke with Heidi Saman, and that was a really awesome conversation. And I uh, want to say thank you again to her for uh, yeah, being totally. so gracious and being on our show yep. and uh, making us watch Fellini. Like, that was pretty cool. It was a really, really good time. Big ups to her, the, the di- it's not her, but the distribution company behind her film, Array. More, because they uh, tweeted about us, and they're kind of well-known, so that's yeah, kind of cool. Hopefully that great. gets us some hits. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. Who knows in this day and age of social media currency what's it, worth anything anymore? It's not always clear. Like One of the things I'm learning as we have guests, some of them are big, some of them aren't, or we get you know retweeted by people other people's heat doesn't necessarily transfer to you so no, like definitely like not. array has this huge following per se but like just because you care about array doesn't mean you're going to see something called cinebunks and be like well it sounds right up my alley like you know <laughs> yeah but if they do that'd be great and just the fact that they did that was cool it's pretty but nice like you said that's that a great episode if you haven't listened to it yet check it out i think we've been on fire these past couple episodes man i think we're doing all right i think we're yeah, doing all right we've, i've been really engaged in our conversations and it's yep. been really fun well i you know one of the things about a uh, podcast that isn't always clear is that there is like a performative aspect so right. Um, sometimes on an episode we might not be totally present because we have a lot of stuff going on or whatever. Yeah. Um, this time of year, it's often really hard for us to schedule stuff. Like I, I feel like last summer we really only did like three episodes total yeah. like, the whole summer. Well, you were having the baby last summer, and like you know, we were there was a lot of. I mean, stuff. we had the baby in January, but yeah, but you were like it was on, like new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. I was starting the new job. I mean, don't be wrong. Like right now. I'm more stressed about my job than last. Like last year was stressful because it was new a little yeah. bit, but I also knew I was going to have off for August yeah. last year because I had the fest and then I had Bruce Campbell fest. And then um, this year, technically I'm way more free, but my job is more serious. So like yeah. I'm way more stressed now <laughs> oh, no. than I was last year. Oh, out of control. That's no good. That's no well, good. It's just, I don't like you stressed out. Well, the thing is, is that the job went from a smaller position to a bigger position in some ways ah. which is great but it the i didn't you always think in your head like when i take on that real job all that money's gonna make it worth it yeah it's like not that much more money so i'm kind of like <laughs> yo if i'm like at home sad i want to be able to just buy irrational blu-rays to make myself feel better <laughs> and that's not real that's not a, no. especially not with a baby yeah 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 it's yeah. sort of yeah yeah, yeah. the it, money has, has to go to other things if, other than it, it would have made sense to not have the baby for a year and save the money <laughs> so then then we could spend the money on like because you know uh, lots of people listening to this have kids so right, right. whenever i whenever i had these like parent revelations it's super boring for certain people <laughs> for everyone actually because you're if you're listening to this you either don't have a child and what i've learned is that people who don't have children they don't want to hear about you or children right. oftentimes. I want to hear about your children all the time. But your people who do have children, if I'm like, you know what, guys? Diapers are fucking expensive. They're like, yeah, man. <laughs> like it's like not like you know, like when you I'm sure when you have a child when you're like twenty between twenty two and twenty eight or something. Right. You have other parents your age who are also like new to this thing who are like, Oh man, you're right. This is crazy. Yeah, We're in yeah, it together. Yeah. We're figuring it out. At thirty eight, all of my parent friends have children for so they're like yeah, man, diapers. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, man, my kid's who, 10. Who yeah. are you? How do you not know that? <laughs> and it's it's not that I didn't know it. It's that it's, there's a difference between knowing it vaguely. You know, right. it's like... And then uh, being in it. Well, it's like 
Oh, man. I just was about to use an example that's so useless for you. It's like when you learn to drive a car. Right. You might basically know. Heard of it. Heard of it. You might basically know how to drive a car. Uh But once you're driving the car, that's a whole. Whatever it was you did in the parking lot to sort of figure out how to do your thing is not the same as like, oh, I'm on 95. I'm going 80. And this guy in front of me just hit his brakes full stop. What do I do right now? (laughs) That's a whole different experience. You know, whole different story. Got it. Speaking of my baby, uh, this weekend is my wife's birthday, and so we're going to do a fun dinner tonight. Nice. So we're romantical. Even, so romantic punks. So uh, my wife and child are here. So if you hear some yelling in the background, that's not neighborhood kids. That's, that's actually <laughs> little Mavers. Someday we'll have Mave on, but right now all she can do is go ah. So it's not. It's kind of like what you do in here. It's not good radio. <laughs> that's true. It's great. I don't. We should name this room. This is like uh, Alvarez Studios. Is that? I the, guess so. Uh, the the I, I refer to this entire household as Melani International because that was the name true. of her parents' restaurant in Easton when they had one. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I call you know the crib Melani International. Kind of into that. So, is that what you want to think of this recording space as? We're in Milani. I think so. Yeah, I'm into that. Okay, we're at Melani International. So we're here at Melani International, but unlike usual, right? My wife and child are here. Yes. Downstairs. So we're going to make this quick. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, they're going to go for a walk. This is going to be a full episode. Don't yeah, worry about no, it. No, no. This is going to be, you're going to get full Cinepunks right now. It's true. It's true. Don't even worry about that. Yeah. There was something I was going to bring up. I don't know. You, I, I think I we're got talking, distracted with this whole, like, my job is actually hard now. <laughs> let's get into it. Let's, let's just do the thing. And then I think it'll come our, back our, to our, it. Our, uh, our patented, our patented segment, segment. Wait, before we do that, let's go ahead and say that this show, this episode, is brought to you by the good people at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. XLVACX.com. The, uh, I, I'm thinking of this primarily because uh, there are sponsors, but also because um, we just had some new shirts printed, so that's kind of on nice. my mind. And then I also, I think this will be out and then we'll have arrived already, but I finally had some Eric Roberts is the fucking man shirts. Oh, yeah. As a gift to Doug. I mean, not really a gift because Doug knew I was going to do it at some point. Right. But I didn't like tell him like now's the time I'm doing it. I just had them printed and shipped to his place in Canada, which is like not cheap. <laughs> so hopefully they just show up and he's like, what are these? these? What the fuck? That's what are awesome. these things? Doug man? Tilly is the man. I mean, without him, we wouldn't have a website. So Or a podcast, if we're being completely Oh, honest. I guess he kind of helped us figure that out. Yeah. Is there anything that we did that was without Doug? No. No. No, Gosh. no. D- Doug has shared with us not only his technical know-how, but also his legitimacy. And that is how we are here. Jesus. I guess I better start being nicer to him on his show. <laughs> I'm always like, you fucking Canadian scumbag. <laughs> But um, yeah, big up to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations yes. and Chris Reject. Um, Cross Keys just did our last run of t-shirts with them, cool. and everybody's very happy with them. That's great. It's it's cool. It's a it's a nexus of Cinepunks because it's Cross Keys, but it's also a picture of Tallulah Bankhead. Yeah, and uh, you know she's one of my favorite actresses. So I uh, I want to you specifically got and I want to hype this up the Trash Inc special. Yes, I did, and this um, shit is dope. Trash Inc. Uh, we, me and Andrew uh, Welbrock, friend of the show and bass player from Cross Keys, like to refer to it as uh, the Thrashing Special. I like that. I like hashtag, that. hashtag Thrashing. But the idea is that um, uh, there are de- if you're willing to get this off color ink, mm-hmm. uh, it's a little bit cheaper than than um, other options. And so. it looks really cool. Just saying, the Cross Keys shirt came out really awesome. Uh, we sold we sold two of them. It's real nice. It's real nice. <laughs> <laughs> we sold a grand total of two. One of them to Bruce Park because <laughs> oh, he's the best. The other one to my friend Pat. Um, uh, so 
support Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Yep, they go are to awesome our, people. Go to our website and buy some Cinepunk shirts. Hooray. Uh, we'll also be at the Neshaminy Creek Brewing Company. Uh, Trenton Punk Rock Flea Market invades Neshaminy Creek Brewing Company thing where, where me and a uh, friend of the show, um, Adriana, will be uh, selling T-shirts there. We'll have our table. It'll be good. Come talk to us. Yep. Friend of the yep. show, editor, writer. And all over awesome person. I need to come up with a cool title. People need ti- I think since we can't actually give people actual compensation, we need like cool <laughs> titles for them. It's like a good way. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no money, but here's your neato title. Here's your sweet nickname that we came up with. Yeah, totally. Totally good. All right. Well, I guess uh, now that we've done our th- our thank yous. Yeah. 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 Thank, yeah. You, thank you to LVAC. Thank you to Heidi for last episode. Right. Thank you to everyone who downloaded that episode. Mm-hmm. Now thank you to move. Array. Now it's time for our segment. Whacking on, on track. track. That one was a little less zesty. No, it was good though. It was I, good. Feel, I, I feel good about it. I feel I feel it was solid. Josh, what have you done? That's that either whack, whack or on track. And or on track. I watched Dunkirk twice. <laughs> So you saw it? I saw it on a screener at the Prince and Standard. Okay, and How then, was, and 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 that, that it was, was good. Still, you it was still it. gripping. Yeah, I yeah, still yeah. was way into it in Standard. And then you went to and then I went to the KOP. King of Prussia. Yep. Oh my God! Seventy millimeter IMAX. Now, this is not just digital IMAX. This is seventy, 70 millimeter, millimeter on IMAX. film yeah. IMAX. It was insane. It was so beautiful. Tell me about the experience of that compared to the regular. Uh, the experience of the regular was, I mean, it's a beautifully shot movie. And sure. I mean, like it, it, it has its problems. It's not a perfect movie, of course. But okay. it's. I did you see it yet? I have not gotten to see it yet. Oh, okay. I, m- I might be seeing it tonight. I'm not, or not tonight. Tomorrow night. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Um. Well, it's a war movie. I, what is your? What, how do you do with war movies? Are you into war movies? We talked about this on the last episode. I'm kind of meh. We? Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah, I'm like yeah. not really that yeah. much into the war movie thing. But I gotta say, this movie was so intense from beginning to end. It's a short christopher nolan movie it's like only like an hour 45 hour and a half long or whatever and um watching it in standard is fine because you know you still have your um you still have i didn't know that the harry styles guy was in there from one direction i didn't realize that that's who that guy was but you know that he was in there turned in a pretty good performance too i might add and um our man bane was in there um what's his name uh doing a lot of eye acting yeah 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 so you, you see all this stuff in standard and the emotional impact is there and you realize like what you're watching is truly a thing of beauty. Sure. But the thing is watching it in the IMAX 70 millimeter, yeah. the clarity and the beauty of it is so immense. It's yeah. so gorgeous. There are scenes where, what's his name? God, what's his name again? Fucking Bane. What's his name? This guy. Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. There are scenes where Tom Hardy is flying across the water. And in the IMAX 70 millimeter, you see the shadow of the plane at the bottom of the screen, which you don't see in standard. And it's majestic. There's no other word for it. It's truly a majestic cinematic experience if you can see it that way. That's highly recommended. Um, Yeah, Melani and I went. We saw um, friends of the show. Mike Brennan was there and uh, Ted Passan, like those dudes. They said they loved it too. I, I, I have one friend that said he wasn't into the movie so far, which, you know, okay, cool. But, um, Overall, yeah. it seems editor, like assistant assistant head editor Joe Yannick mm. also was not into the movie, but his feeling was that it was still worth seeing because on seventy millimeter it was so visual. So he just thought the story was kind of meh for him. He wasn't yeah. that into the as a film, you know. Right, right, right. I thought it was a fine film. I mean, I enjoyed it. I, it had a lot of you know, 
uh, we did talk about it at the last on the last show, but yeah, dude, I thought it was really cool. And if you can see it on seventy millimeter in IMAX, seriously, take make every effort to do that because Whoa. totally worth it. Totally well, on track. Adjacent Cinepunk Sean Benassign. It's his birthday this weekend. Oh, happy birthday, it, Sean! It, well, I think it was his birthday maybe yesterday, but right. we're celebrating it this weekend. Um, and so we're either seeing Valerian, Dunkirk, or um, another movie. I don't remember which one. <laughs> okay. There's so many movies out right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe War Sp- for the Planet of the Apes. I don't know. But Spiderman? Did you see Spider-Man yet? So I saw Spider-Man, so I hope we're not supposed to see Spider-Man. Cause I- oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, Atomic Blonde, because that just came out. So those were the <laughs> yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think John he Red already saw, saw it for us last week. I think he already saw War for the Planet of the Apes. Right. I haven't seen it yet. The only... Of the many summer movies I really want to see, the only one I managed to go see was Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Uh, and we'll get to that because that's, okay, my, that's, that's one of my on track. Okay. Okay. So uh, on track was that. I also watched uh, the uh, documentary Tickled. Oh, I've been meaning to watch it and I haven't had a chance yeah, to Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a weird movie, man. I hear it's really good. It's intense. And then there's like another ancillary movie that cut, that's 21 minutes yeah. of... Uh, after the movie came out and when they started screening it, yeah, the movie is insane as far as documentary goes. It starts off with this one reporter from New Zealand finds a video online of competitive marathon tickling. Sure. And it's like these athletic dudes tickling each other while one, like one dude's tied down to a bed and everyone just tickles them. And uh, the guy tried to find out what the deal with the video is. So he, he goes down the internet rabbit hole trying to find who makes it. And he unearths this insane network of people, and the, it all leads to like one dude, and it's just fucking crazy pants. It's no, it's my understanding, and you can tell me if this is true that uh, the podcast The Dollop is featured in this uh, documentary um, a little bit. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. That is literally like my second favorite podcast right now. Nice. It's nice. so funny. It's yeah. unbelievably funny, dude. The show, the movie is amazing though. Watch it. It's called Tickled, and then King of the. King of Tickle, I think, is, is yeah, the name of the, the second part. Up, yeah. Dude, the follow-up is only 21 minutes long, but just as crazy. That's crazy. Just as insane. But that movie was really, really fun. I, I really enjoyed I mean, it's I, I, I like seeing documentaries. I haven't really seen like so much documentaries. I've seen a few. I've seen the Touchstone ones, but I haven't seen like the real uncomfortable ones. Like I never saw the Chicken Hawk one. I never saw... Oh, that's good. Did you watch that one? Yeah. Did, uh, did you see it when Matt, um, friend of the show, Matt Garrett, director... Matt Garrett programmed it? I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. It's possible. Yeah. So, so I haven't seen too many of these kinds of documentaries. But that said, this one I thought was really, it was really interesting story and was very, um, very, uh, very intense. But it was, it was good. So yeah, so that's my on track. Uh, whack. Um, it was supposed to rain today and it didn't. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why? Wait, why? I don't know. I just, you know. It's not that hot, though. It's not like crazy summertime. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. I haven't been outside the house yet either. So, <laughs> you know, that's a thing. Um, yeah, the past couple of days have been sort of unseasonably cold. And yeah. that's fine. I don't know. I don't really like that. But. <laughs> I also watched uh, one of my wax is that I watched Blue Sunshine this weekend or this week. I don't know what that is. It is a 1978 movie, a science fiction movie where this dude's like, uh, let me see. Yeah, 1978. It's It was like this cult punk kind of movie like they used to play at cbgb's and stuff when like the ramones would play sure but uh like it's about like um these people all of a sudden are bald and they start killing people <laughs> yeah 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 it, it, i mean you know it's a 70s movie it's a 70s horror movie it was fine 
just uh, I watched it and I was like, yeah, what's the deal with this? And, and I was not stoked. Me and Melani watched it and she she like bailed in the first twenty minutes. Oh, was not hyped that's on never, it. That's never. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. So that is my whack. And on to you, Liam. Oh, I got one more on track. Okay. Uh, I, you always have one. I, I know. I just wait. No, you, you should just chill. That's yeah, what you yeah, did. Yeah. But uh, the new Kochiyama record came out today, so you're excited. Um, pretty yeah, excited yeah. about that. So if you, uh, you know, I'll put it. We'll put it up. We'll put a link with the with the episode, and you can listen to my new band. Oh, if I remember, you gotta remind. I'll me. remind you. Okay, it's cool. Kochiyama. Kochiyama. K O C H I I Y A M A A M A. In case I forget, someone's like, I want to find the thing. It's not yeah, obvious. It's it not obvious yeah, no, it's not. It. It's not like everyone knows this book. Could you? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, so, like I said, on track, I finally saw Spitterman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, not only did I see it though, because you guys know I've talked about it on the show that it's hard for, to see movies with a new baby. It just is. Like you got to get a babysitter just to go to the movies, which is worth it to me. But uh, I, I Suze is not necessarily willing to like drag someone over our house for two hours. Well, you guys, yeah, because I, I, I would go to a movie like every weekend. So <laughs> uh, we finally got to go, but instead of going to a movie theater like that, we went to the drive-in. And what's great Yay. about the drive-in is that you can bring your baby and it's not a big deal because if yeah. the baby freaks out, you just put, you just go in the car with the baby and then it's okay. And you're so, good. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much the only scenario where I think you can bring a baby to the movies and not feel too weird. And uh, I sort of then, we were just like, okay, we bring her to the drive-in and then we can see the movie. And it was only once we were there that I realized like, oh... Um, we've basically taken Maeve to her first movie. Oh, it's like a big deal. Yeah, I, I was awesome. I wasn't thinking about it that way, but that's what we did. You know. Yeah. So, um, so Sp- Spiderman itself, uh, <laughs> Spiderman, Tom, Tom Spiderman. That's what I'm. The, the Tom Tom Spiderman. Uh, I liked it. I think, uh, as with anything, you get kind of with superhero movies. I think you get kind of caught. Yeah, because you get the people for whom this is the best superhero movie they've ever seen. They're like, "This is it. We've mm-hmm. we've reached the pinnacle of the genre." <laughs> and then for other people, they're like, "Not another one of these fucking things." Yeah. You know? Um, I thought it was competent. Where are um, you? Are you are you still on board? Are you uh, getting sick of it I or what? Can't, uh, I should be sick of it. Yeah, I'm sure I will be sick of it at some point. But no, I mean, I you know, even though I wouldn't say that. Spiderman was my favorite movie ever. Uh-huh. Am I still stoked to go see Thor? Yeah, I am. Yo, I'm way more stoked on this Thor than I was on the last two. No, yeah, the last two were trash. As yeah. far as I'm concerned, they weren't But good. Taika Waititi's directing this yeah. new one. And, and I, it looks funny. It looks good. That dude's my man. But I mean, okay, so Spiderman, it's, 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 it's a very solid teen movie story in and of yeah. itself mm. and then the superhero stuff was relatively well done i liked you know they managed to make vulture feel more like a like a real world vulture without uh, without it being real you know what i mean like sometimes right. when they so for example i love the sam raimi spider-man the first two spider-mans the, mm. uh, that sam raimi did but i always kind of felt like the green goblin thing where it's just like a suit was yeah. kind of dumb you know it's a like, little too real yeah it's a little too real like let's do a little something you yeah know? i mean like at least dr octopus was like yeah there was something he yeah. had the he had the arms he looked so cool yeah. and he yeah. was just bigger than just a dude in a suit kind yeah. which yeah. i mean you know if we're talking about superhero movies you can't be mad about dude in a suit stuff sure 
But you know. Well, that's what I thought with spirit was that. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to not laugh when you say Spiderman. <laughs> <laughs> was that um, I felt like the vulture was a more real world vul- version of the vulture, mm. but it but it was still reminiscent of that vibe. Yeah, and it was still ridiculous. It's not like they made it a realistic suit. It right. was still very much its own thing. They have like feathers on it or something. Um, did you? I not, haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen Spider-Man no. Yet? I have not seen Spider Man or Wonder Woman. Uh, like the two movies that you saw this summer, I didn't see those. Those, they, <laughs> those are like the those two are that literally I the only two I've seen. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus, I need to go to the movies more. Um, yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think that it works. I think it it has a an energy to it. There's a few aspects of it I didn't love. I like I wouldn't say it's like my favorite comic book movie. Mm. I also one of the things that I can't decide if I like or I dislike. I think I like, but Iron Man is an asshole. Yeah. And in a sense, he's almost like the villain of the movie. Really? Well, in the sense that he like he's not directly. Directly, he's part of the the superhero thing, the hero thing. But yeah. indirectly, it's his fucking fault. Everything that goes wrong is Iron Man's fault. <laughs> and you know, the Vulture and Spiderman technically have more in common. I mean, by the time you meet, by the time the Vulture is sort of in conflict with um peter parker right he's been doing this crime thing for a while so his house is nice you, like, you don't get the vibe that he's poor right but you see him earlier as the setup and you get the feeling that he's kind of like a poor neighborhood dude right so it's kind of like it feels to me like peter parker and the vulture have more in common than peter parker and iron man yeah yeah tony stark's an asshole yeah and he's a rich privilege asshole yeah like yeah yeah. yeah, it's because he's smart or whatever and that's supposed to make it okay (laughs) but he makes a lot of decisions that are hard for me and again maybe we're supposed to be like well they were the right decisions and that's what being a teenager is is it's people make the their right quote-unquote decisions but they impact your life yeah. negatively and that's what you focus on and i kind of get that vibe but part of me is like no but he really is just the worst you know so <laughs> um and i can't decide if i like part of me liked that like i had been yeah. like oh this fucking dick you yeah, know yeah, yeah. and then part of me was kind of like uh oh, but but then why I, I i guess what it boils down to is the main motivation of the film is that spider-man wants to be an avenger uh uh-huh. and that just gets old and it, and it resolves differently mm-hmm. but there's not enough in be, the way that it becomes an origin story is that for most of the movie every decision he makes is because he, wants he just be wants to be an avenger and you're like yeah. bro you're 15 years old just be 15 <laughs> yeah like a 15 and you're a superhero but that's was the spider-man story and like mm. it's not that spider-man in those older stories wouldn't have wanted to be an Avenger, but he was just more focused on like getting high school. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things that people sort of criticized the movie for a little bit, which I think was really unfair was the Marissa Tomei thing. Oh, she's Aunt May. She's Aunt May. Yeah. Well, she's, I thought she was great as Aunt May and, I guess, she's a great actress. Well, it's like they want to punish her because she's still attractive, and I'm like, that doesn't make her any less old. Like, yeah, we just need to live into the fact that like, <laughs> like Aunt May is not going to have a gray bun, and like, you know, Marissa Tomei is the same age as the sexy one from Golden Girls. You know, like they're the same is age. Blanche Dubois. Yeah, they are at this moment in time. Wow. Like not now because she's old. You know what I mean? But yeah, when Golden Girls went on the age uh, went on the air, that's the age that Marissa Tomei is right now. Right. So like. 
she is an old person. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like all these people were like, why yeah. would they? Why would they cast someone like that for Aunt May? I'm like, Whatever. she is the age. Yeah, she like, is Aunt listen, May's man, age. I don't know. Kick rocks. Marissa Tomei is cool. She's so. good in the role. I thought she was good. I think Tom Holland is a fine Peter Parker. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, all of these no super. Uh, everyone who the one thing that most people resonated with was that this movie is like a john hughes movie with a superhero and is that what do you think about that i think that's fair like i said there's a strong teen story underneath the superhero stuff yeah but um and there's some great performances in that Mm. and what i really liked about the movie is that it feels even though a lot of it was filmed in atlanta yeah it generally feels more like new york than other superhero movies like the Avengers could have had the event right anywhere. Yeah. And that's true of a lot of Marvel movies and DC movies. The the cities have no character. They're not present. Right. Um because of who Peter Parker is, the city's just a little bit more present. Not like hugely, right. but a little right. bit more. And you feel it. You especially feel it because a chunk of the movie, you know, he's going to this high school with these kids and some of them are more privileged than him. Uh-huh. So he goes out to this party uh-huh. and all of a sudden you realize spider-man in the suburbs doesn't fucking work yeah there's this brilliant sequence where he's trying to chase his truck there's no buildings for him to swing from oh so he's kind of like going through people's yards and occasionally getting like a tree or like at one point he gets a a tree house which he rips out of the tree (laughs) and he's just like oops you know it just keeps going And you realize, like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man is a hero that really only works in the city. In the city. Urban climb. At least the way that we see him. Yeah. And then, like, Peter Parker himself, he has a local bodega he goes to that has a bodega cat. And then at another point, he's interacting with another character played by uh, Donald Donald Glover. Oh. Is that right? Childish Gambino? Yeah. Yeah. And they they have a brief argument about sandwiches, even though he's Spider-Man in this moment. He's not Peter Parker. Uh Whatever, whatever. And there's like, oh, you save the place. He's like, he mentions the bodega. Oh, you save blah, blah, blah from the bodega. He's like, yeah, man, best best sandwiches. And and, and no, no, no. no, (laughs) And they have a brief, and you know that that's real, that Philly, New York, wherever, you could be in a scenario that's about something way more, and someone says, Blah, blah blah best sandwiches you're gonna go yeah no like man. no no the best cheesesteaks yeah like yeah yeah yeah, yeah like yeah, that's yeah. what they do that's the interaction they have it's so good anyways that's awesome. so there are moments like that that are really great but uh, i just think all these superhero movies i don't know if it's the fact that they don't know what to do with the special effects i don't know if it's that they have to connect them to the other movies i don't know what it is but every superhero movie even though they have superheroes who i grew up loving they uh-huh. all just feel a little lacking to me yeah and so that i think the thing about the spitterman that made it it was that i wanted more of the teen stuff yeah the superhero stuff was cool but, but the teen it wasn't stuff is the story. great yeah. and i, I could have done with more and especially since they really diversified the teen cast and i like that yeah you know it's yeah. like yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. that you know Fla- flash is uh is a hispanic dude i'm into that okay you know? and it uh eddie brock MJ, uh eddie brock isn't in the movie Oh, Flash Thompson. Yeah, yeah Flash Thompson. Right. Or uh, um, MJ is uh, that's that's uh, Mary Jane. Yeah, well, she's not that in the movie. She's they they basically keep it a secret, and then uh-huh. they, she says later on, people call me MJ, and she's not a white girl. And that's, oh. you know, whatever. you'll see it. Right, I'll see it. Anyways, Anyways. I I that was that was that was way too long. Sorry, guys, that was <laughs> a lot of rambling. But the point is, is Good. that it was on track. Uh, another thing on track, uh, the new uh, the new integrity record. You're feeling it. It's really good. 
I haven't had a chance to give it a listen yet. It's really good. I yeah. mean, there's, you know, we have that new music feature, and there's a lot of demos and stuff. So I, I feel bad lifting up something like so obvious. Yeah. But I just if being, you like it, you like being it. Being real about yeah. what I've been listening hey. to lately, and I've been coming back to that new integrity a lot. Yeah. So um, I gotta I gotta say that's on my on track. Um, as far as whack. I don't think I have anything. I mean, really? the the only you know what I say was oh, kind of whack. It was a great experience. So recently, me and Justin got to be on the Final Girls podcast. Yeah, that was great. You guys talked about Piranha 3D. So uh, check out the episode. It's a really good episode. Um, they're great. The whack part was having to watch Piranha 3D. That movie, that movie is so fucking yeah, bad. Yeah, it's so bad. It yeah. made you know what's funny too is like I don't even love Deep Blue Sea. But after Piranha 3D, Deep Blue Sea was like brilliant filmmaking. <laughs> You're like, ah, yes. <laughs> uh, Rennie Harlan has really, really got these cuts down, you know. <laughs> oh, look at this brilliant slow motion sequence. Oh, my goodness. Where uh, Thomas Jane's reaching for a shotgun, you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my only whack was watching that. But yeah, I will say, though it was whack, it was in service to an on track, which was being on the Final Girls podcast, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, They're very yeah, nice. They're awesome. I don't think they listen to this podcast. But That's okay. They only listen to Justin. They like Justin. Who doesn't? People love that Justin Lore. No, he's the best. He's so charming. <laughs> I have one more on track. I told you. Oh my god. It. You always have one I more. I know, one more. Do I it. didn't even I saw Iron Maiden for the first time. Oh, how was that? Fucking right. It was awesome. Dude. That makes sense. We went to the Barclays Center, Jay Z's joint in Brooklyn, where the Nets play now. Never been to that stadium before. Um Milani pulled a maneuver where the tickets were like super expensive. They're like $125, $140 or something like that. And we got them day of show for like $40 a piece because people were just dumping them on StubHub. That's so, crazy. So, dude, yeah, we were like right up front and we saw Iron Maiden. And let me tell you something. Even though, okay, so it was the Book of Souls tour. So it's like their latest record. Not my favorite record. Further, not my favorite Eddie iconography because they're going this whole Mayan thing. Sure. Let me tell you something, though. Their whole set was like a Mayan temple. Bruce Dickinson starts out on top of the stage, like standing on like a riser. Yeah. In like cargo pants and like a hoodie over like a bubbling cauldron of smoke. And then there's pyro and then everybody comes running out and then they're they're off to the races. And let me tell you, have you ever, are you an Iron Maiden fan? I, I really like uh uh, Power Slave. Power Slave is good. Um, I have another one that I really like, and I don't know. Seven Sun. I feel like I once you have a couple good Iron Maiden records, you don't need the whole. You do need them because they're all amazing in their oh own way. God. Just I saying. Know. I don't know. That said, the experience... I feel like in the later '80s they got a little more ballady, and I'm not. Yeah, as into it's that. a little bit weird. But uh, this was the final show of a 117 show tour that was two years, and so at the end of it, they were like, "This is the last time you'll see." this particular set and all this other stuff. And uh, it was really awesome. So if you get a chance to see Iron Maiden, <laughs> dude, do not mess up. Go see that shit. I would definitely Shit go. is dope. Yeah, for real. So that's it. Man, you always have an extra I know, one. I know. Always, I haven't always, done anything always. else, though. I feel like uh, most of my time this week, these past couple weeks since I saw you last, is uh, recording and, like, you know, finished the Cross Keys record, finished Kochiyama record. Like, there's so much going You're on so right now. You're so productive. I do try to be. I do try to be. That's true. All right. Well, but so on this episode... We are discussing two movies by, I think, an underrated director, Walter Hill. Mr. Walter Hill. So uh, chances are, if you're like most people, 
you know Walter Hill because of one of two movies. The Warriors, which for our audience is probably the one. Like yeah. People know The Warriors. And, and the, the Warriors has a lot of respect in the punk and hardcore community, I think, because of the weird gang stuff. Yeah. Like, like even like, they did a, the, you remember recently on Coney Island, which is where the Warriors are from in the movie Coney yeah. Island, they did like a Warriors fest. It's like a bit all played, you know, like that. You re- did you see this? I did not know that. No. Oh, uh, Coney Island did the first ever. Well, they always do something for the Warriors, but this was yeah. the actual. No, it's not even because it's 79. So I don't even know why they did it this year. But this year, three bands played headlining Sick of It All. Uh, some band I don't know that's like a hardcore band. And then like a cover, like some punk cover band <laughs> thing played. Right. And then uh, all, every living cast member was there. Oh, man. Walter Hill was not there, though, which is weird. Yeah. And then they had a warrior uh, Warriors um, costume contest. Like, nice. who, And then you won a prize. And, and then the, uh, after Sick of It All ended at dark they yeah. showed the warriors, the warriors on the beach <sighs> so great yeah, yeah yeah there were other stuff too there's a lot of it was like a whole i know that there's like the stuff. warriors race uh there's like a bike yeah. messenger race that goes through yeah. the burrows and all yeah. that stuff so all that to say you know the warriors. chances are you know the warriors and 48 hours right? for yeah for a lot of people what i found is um only a small group of people know both the Warriors and Forty Eight Hours really well. Yeah. Those people tend to be Walter Hill fans, right? That right, most right. people like if if you're like Walter Hill, oh, Forty Eight Hours. Of course, I know that movie. Yeah, you might not, not always, but you might not be as big a fan of the Warriors and or vice versa. Vice versa. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. If you know about the Warriors, you're not really. But uh, but I think Walter Hill has had a pretty um interesting and diverse career. I mean, he started out working with people on a lot of big movies. I mean, he worked on. He produced all the Aliens. Sure, 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 but way before. And he co-wrote early the first his, Alien. Yeah, but way, way, way before. Early in his career, he was on Woody Allen Films. Oh. He was on The French Connection. Like, he wow. worked in film for a long time before he got his first directing gig. Uh-huh. You know, and um, and so I think that, uh, you know, he kind of came in and... and um, sorry, I'm uh, looking up uh, his filmography, so I'll have to cut this out. Because it's a dead zone. <laughs> so I think the thing about him is that he's been very involved in a lot of projects, but not all of them. I mean, I think he gets more attention for being a writer on the first Alien than he does for some of the movies that he actually like made. Mm. You know what I mean? But on the other hand, I also don't want to be someone who only talks about his directing, because you're right. Not only did he... Uh, do a second right on the original Alien. He was a producer for subsequent Aliens, and he's been a producer on a lot of other films as well, yeah, yeah, including yeah, yeah. even like new films. So, um, what were the newer ones that he's produced? Well, if you look at his uh, IMDb, well, not surprisingly, Alien Covenant and Prometheus, right? Oh, and AVP, unfortunately. And then he was a producer on Deadwood. Uh, he's a producer on Ritual. Another alien movie. So, you know, he's done he's done some stuff like that. But directing wise, um, you know, his career kinda got going with um hard times in nineteen seventy five. This is uh a uh Charles Bronson film. Oh. I hear it's great. In fact seen it. in fact, um uh the movie we're discussing The Driver and Streets of Fire. Right. And uh the female actress from the driver uh what is her name again um adriana the one who is in possession yes oh he's forget. oh isabel ajani 
Right. She decided to work with him on the driver because she liked Hard Times so much. Ah. But, you know, you see his early career, Hard Times, pretty good. The driver was actually kind of commercially didn't do well. Like, critics mm-hmm. liked it, but it, it has, like, of, a cult following. Though, yeah, right? yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. Achieved cult status. Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And then the Warriors, it, you know, yeah, huge, huge. Big deal. Now, I never, I've never seen The Long Riders, which is what he did. It's right a Western? It's a Western. And that's what, but this is what, the span of his career. He does The Driver, which is... Um, you know, it's in some ways it's just a crime film, but the way it tells the story is a little bit different. It's yeah. a little bit experimental in a way because it doesn't get too de- deep in. The Warriors is a weird post-apocalyptic, so yeah. like weird thing going on. Then he goes to the Long Riders Western, then Southern Comfort, which is basically a Vietnam movie, only it's the National Guard of Louisiana. Wow! But it's did you see that? Yeah, you haven't seen it? No. Oh not. man, I yeah. I even rewatched most of it i couldn't finish it because baby stuff but right i rewatched most of it before we did this because i wanted to you know whatever and southern comfort the cast for southern comfort is unbelievable if if anyone listening if you haven't seen this mm. we're talking keith carradine oh. we're talking powers booth nice. we're talking fred ward we're talking tk carter oh. from the warriors yeah we're talking lewis smith les lanham peter coyote peter uh, coyote alan autry uh, Brian James, I mean, um, Alan Graff. It's like an unbelievable, unbelievable cast. Yeah. Uh, and it really is the movie that got him the attention he needed to make 48 Hours. Because, mm. yeah, The Warriors was like a success, but it was also... Still cult niche Still in cult, a way. Still sort genre of like film. genre yeah. film. Southern Comfort is a war movie in which there is no war. I mean, it really is about Vietnam, but it's... National Guard soldiers, they're just on maneuvers in Louisiana mm. and they um they take these boats and they're technically borrowing the boats, but the people they're interacting with in these with Louisiana are Cajuns. So they don't really speak much English. Mm-hmm. They only speak this you know, whatever weird Creole. form of French. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh also on these maneuvers they have blanks in their guns. Mm. So one of these fucking assholes shoots at them, but it's blanks, but he thinks it's funny. Well, they kill the commanding officer. Oh, wow. The hunters, they shoot him. Yeah. So now they just don't know. They just got to get out of the woods. And it gets more and more intense and psychotic, and it just goes off the deep end. It's really right. It's really well done. So that's where he sort of got the funds then for 48 Hours. And 48 Hours is a huge cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I, I assume if you're listening success, to this, you know yeah. about 48 I mean, right. it broke Eddie Murphy. Like, uh-huh. with Nick that, Nolte. It's his first movie. Nick Nolte's amazing. It's like... Yeah. One of Nick Nolte's best performances, I think. Right. Um, not the best, but one of his best performances. Yeah. Um, so then, the next movie we're discussing, Streets we're of Fire. Streets of Fire. That almost broke his career. Because what happened yeah, is he's got all this heat. Yeah. He's got all this heat coming out of 48 Hours. He makes Streets of Fire. It's panned, generally. People, yeah. don't, people don't like it. Then he makes Brewster's Millions, <laughs> known as like the worst Richard Pryor movie. Yeah. Like, just uh, Superman 3 is up there. Yes, but this was, you know, it was still uh, at a time when it should have been, you know, Richard Pryor movie should have been a slam dunk, yeah. and yeah, it yeah, did yeah. not do well. I mean, it made okay money, but I like that movie. critically, people didn't love it. I, I think it's great. I'm not a huge fan. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> and then things sort of went off the rails for a little bit. You know, Crossroads isn't necessarily oh. appreciated the as Ralph a The Ralph Macchio movie? Is Ralph Macchio in this? I have never seen it. Yep, Ralph oh, Macchio. Fuck. I hear it's bad. It's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Extreme Prejudice is actually pretty good, but I don't think it made a lot of money. Another Nick Nolte movie. Red Heat is... 
I like it, it's but it's fine. It's, it's a good sports you know, movie. But you know, kind of, I just feel like his career is not really killing it. Johnny Handsome. I actually think Johnny Handsome is underrated. That's with like Brad Pitt. It. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, Mickey Rourke. Oh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke, Rourke yeah. Alan Barkin. There's Elizabeth a Pompadour Miller, in there. Morgan Freeman is in it. I think it's good, but I, you know, it's uh, again not. He's not making a lot of money. And then another Forty Eight Hours, which is just yeah. like. You're just cashing in now. And honestly, after that, his career seems to go off the rails a little bit until uh, 1996's Last Man Standing. I don't oh. know what you think about this. It's a Bruce Willis movie. It is... Um, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, man. Uh, a drifting gunslinger for hire finds himself in the middle of an ongoing war between the Irish and Italian mafia in a Prohibition-era ghost town. Whoa. So it's basically white people Yojimbo. Right. Bruce Willis. Bruce Stern, William Sanderson, Christopher Walken. I mean, do I need to say anything else? No, you're good. Lots of shooting. Lots of David Patrick Kelly, of course, because right. he's, he's like you know Walter Hill's back pocket guy. <laughs> um, lots of shooting. Very much your Jimbo ripoff, which sounds like negative, but I love it. And it's one yeah. of the, it's a college movie. Like maybe right. watching it now, it won't seem as sophisticated or as iconic. Maybe to yeah. Me. But in college, we watched a lot because it's like snappy lines yeah. well shot lots of shooting you know right, right, i'm right. sure someone's like last man standing such a yojimbo ripoff but like at the time i was like <laughs> yeah this is so great you know so uh but again then after last man standing you know undisputed's okay he did some tv work whatever but um that being said i think because he doesn't have any of those late career uh, sort of big wins, and because he was doing a lot of production at that point, yeah, he doesn't get that respect. He doesn't get the respect or the depth that. But I mean, God damn it, the driver, the warriors, hard times, yeah, yeah, Comfort, yeah. forty-eight hours, streets of fire, and we'll get to it. But I, I'll go ahead and and spoiler alert: I love streets of fire, so <laughs> we'll see. But um, for me, uh, I picked the driver when I said let's do Walter Hill. I picked the driver because I hadn't seen it. Yeah, and I really wanted to see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's very much now that i've seen it too i'm like yeah you realize yeah. not that baby driver is a ripoff but clear no, but a homage. lot of big homage yeah, to the driver yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely even definitely. in the first scene when he has like the the walkman and he's listening to oh, yeah. in the car yeah it's like it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. good it's really it's good. good so um we'll take a quick break and we'll come back we'll talk about the driver and streets of fire yes Yeah. 
do that. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're back. Welcome to our Walter Hill episode. So, Streets of Fire and The Driver. Now, uh, had you seen... We Neither one of us has seen The Driver before. Yeah, we hadn't seen The Driver. I had <sighs> seen Streets of Fire a long time ago, and I loved it as a kid. Oh, yeah. Like, I thought it was amazing as a child. And I remember my dad being like, this movie's terrible. I'm like, you're out of your mind. This movie's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, watching it now, I don't know. Might be turning into my dad. Just saying. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Let's not go there. Let's focus on The Driver first. All right. Okay. So, 1978's The Driver. Um Amazing this, cast for the driver, and it even had the lady from Nightmare on Elm Street. It did, it did. So the driver, um, yeah, it was a summer release in 1978. Uh, did not do super great. Made probably about two million worldwide, which is not really a lot per se. Not terrible, but um, I think it it just it just didn't have the reception that you would think to me now because it's so classic. Um, Ryan O'Neill, Bruce Dern. Isabel Ajani, um, Roni Blake, Blakely is the mom. Yeah, she, she's Street. the mom for Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Matt Clark, uh, Joseph Walsh, Rudy Ramos. Rudy Ramos. There's a lot of people in it that are. I saw Rudy Ramos in the in the in the credits coming yeah. going in. I was like, man, I wonder if this guy's Filipino. And then like from then on. Every single Asian-looking person in the movie, I'm like, "Hey, is that you, Rudy Ramos?" But then, like, when you realize who it is, like, when I checked it out, like on my phone, you know, I was like, "Oh, that guy doesn't look Filipino." <laughs> do you have, do you have this weird thing where, um, okay, so like we're planning things for Latinx Heritage Month, mm-hmm. and you just see Hispanic names or Latin names, and and it's like, "Oh, I wonder if I should invite them." Yeah, but, but then you don't you, know if they're Filipino. Or yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. you have this thing where. Because I would just assume that they were Latin, but right. you were like, man, I wonder if that person's yeah. Alvarez? I wonder if Rudy Ramos. I wonder if he's Filipino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a true story. I, I don't know. I was like, and then like it opens, a, they're all gambling, right? Uh huh. I was like, I wonder if Rudy Ramos is teaching everybody how to play Madrum. Because, like, <laughs> you know, that was my like legitimate said out of my mouth thought. Yeah, it was terrible. So, so The Driver is a, is a film, I mean, much like Baby Driver, about someone who drives various um stick-up artists right. from their locations um it is it also has it's also a strange movie in that nobody has a name yeah um the driver is the driver the mm-hmm. you know the detective or whatever is you know, detective whatever is yeah detective there's they're not giving um identities and it is i think an exercise in seeing how much story you can get out of the film without <clears throat> delving i mean you don't know anyone yeah, you really don't. All you know is their um, relationships within the movie, their mm-hmm. relationships to each other. Right. Like uh, the lady from Nightmare on Elm Street is the connect, right? Or the connection or something like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it is very much related, I think, to the samurai and the idea of this like very cool character in... Um, did you see that movie? situation? Did yeah, you see yeah, yeah. You've oh, never you seen you never seen no. *The Samurai*? Oh, it's classic. Yeah, classic. Wow, not a samurai movie. Definitely. Yeah, it's a, a French movie, yeah, right? French. Uh, yeah, but it is again about this sort of. I mean, the driver doesn't say much. Right. Probably has like thirty-five words the whole movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, it's very much a a movie about atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, about Nicholas Winding Refn cited it as one of his references for *Drive* as well. Mm-hmm. And, I think uh, both. 
Drive and Baby Driver are very influenced by it. Baby Driver yeah. obviously is not totally influenced by it because Edgar Wright is a wordy fellow. Right. Yeah. So Baby is very much quiet. But the movie is a lot of talking. Yeah, a lot yeah, of talking. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the driver is not that. But um I think there's in the sense of like creating a certain atmosphere, mm-hmm. telling a story in which a lot is suggested. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of subtext. And everything um, is the action, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I, I wonder if, so I think, um, when I think about ways that the movie maybe, well, let, let's start with this, just to give you a little bit of what sort of passes for the plot here. Mm. Um, we're introduced to the driver. He's picking up some, uh, ne'er-do-wells. ne'er-do-wells who've held up a casino. Right. Um, he is seen by, uh, Isabella Johnny, uh, her character, and, he makes this getaway and the getaway is actually pretty tight yeah the, but, the 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 driving sequences are really really entertaining in this movie. yeah really well done um i think you know the 70s though there's a high standard so i wonder mm. if audiences at that point are not as impressed with fancy i mean you know the post french connection yeah you know you got to do something pretty fucking crazy unbelievable yeah for, to for get audiences to get be. people's attention but as someone who likes those sorts of sequences, they were really well done. They looked awesome. And you know what the other thing that's awesome about them is that the cars in them are all made of metal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're so tough. Like, Well, and so and there's a very... Uh, you get a, a lot of details without much detail in the movie in that, um, one, this guy is really good. Mm-hmm. Two, he's very exacting. He won't work with these uh, particular criminals again because they were late. Right. He feels like it's their fault that he was seen because they took longer than he was expecting them to. But there's a whole police unit set up, and it's clear from this police unit led by Bruce Stern that they're not trying to catch criminals, generally speaking. They're, they're looking for this him. guy, yeah. the driver, mm-hmm. and knowing that the driver works with a variety of, of criminals. So I think it's really interesting that their obsession is with this guy. Yeah. But he technically is not committing any of these crimes. Right. He's just driving them. But he's so established. He's so well known. Yeah. Even at a certain point about the, um, uh, he has an interaction with his handler, mm. uh, and and he says, "You tell you tell him about the cost. They know about the cost." Mm. And she's like, "Everybody knows about the cost." You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. He's that notorious. He's that. There's this idea of you get so much of his personality and his reputation from the way other people treat him. Yeah, and it's know? cool because he doesn't actually do the things in the movie that garners him this respect. Right. Yeah. He's such a good actor too in this movie. So, um well, as the movie moves forward, it becomes pretty clear that it's about him and Bruce Stern. Mm-hmm. Bruce Stern wants to catch him. And he does not want to get caught. <laughs> nope. Bruce Stern is such a dastardly character in this movie too. Right? He's Talk about so his performance brutal. a little bit. Like, yeah, dude. Well, I mean, I did the the IMDb IMDb research on him. Yeah. And uh Eleanor Roosevelt was his babysitter. You heard about that? Uh, Bruce Stern? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. FDR, his dad was uh, in cabinet. He was born in 36. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, I didn't know anything about I mean, I know Bruce Stern. Yeah. Uh, what was the what Nebraska. Was the movie? Oh, yeah, Nebraska. So good, right? So good. So and I mean, good. I know him from other roles, too, but, right. but yeah, that was- It's funny seeing him in 1978 as he is yeah. in this movie. He's like, got this curly blonde hair. He's like this weird- Man, yeah. shitty looking dude. Like he just is shitty in the whole movie, man. Well, and I think um, I feel like uh, the main dude in this movie, uh, Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, I don't feel like he got a lot of respect, but I feel like he's great in this. I, I think of Ryan O'Neill as he was the love story guy, right? The 
loving yeah. me is never having to say I'm but, sorry or whatever. But think about but think about um Ryan O'Neill in this role. I, I, I just feel like uh I feel like our man Walter Hill, mm. and this will be a theme, he has this thing for brooding quiet white dudes right think about uh, weird anti-hero white well, yeah dudes. think about the main dude from the warriors right you know what I mean? swan yeah swan from the warriors or uh, i would say probably fred ward from uh southern comfort um kind of nick nolte but nick nolte is a little more pizzazz right in 48 hours but he's he has those moments those brooding but definitely fucking ryan o'neill in this movie and michael perret in streets of fire yeah they're definitely this like outcasted white dude yeah yeah there's and a there, scene in the driver so slick where ryan o'neill's like i have no friends yeah yeah you're just like come on dog that's walter hill man that's like yeah. his thing and yeah, uh, yeah. It, it really for me and the driver it really works that ryan o'neill doesn't have to bring that much but mm. there's something about ryan o'neill that makes me think i actually think he'd be really good like silent film actor like huh. i think he communicates a lot without saying much in this movie like yeah. i don't like i think his, people his very expressive faces i think people found him cold in this movie and i think he actually is really in the moment he's really mm. believable and yeah, really yeah yeah present um, anyway, so Bruce Stern's character, this police officer, he sets up some other criminals as a way to get at uh, Ryan O'Neill. Ryan O'Neill to get at the driver. The yeah. driver immediately doesn't trust these motherfuckers. Like they are just slimy. Dude, he smashes up their car. Oh yeah, uh, he's yeah. doing everything he can to turn them off. But he, he, you know, the heat's coming up, and he needs the money, and he's just mm. going to do it. I think he goes along with it because he knows. He knows it's that Bruce up. Dern's behind yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, just yeah. sort of playing it out. Dude. And the whole film is really, he plays Bruce Dern's game the whole movie. Mm-hmm. There's so many times he could walk away, and he just yeah. keeps playing it up, and yet Bruce Dern just can't get him. I just think it's like, uh, it's just about so winning over Bruce Dern in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, even his interactions with Isabella Johnny don't feel like there's, I mean, she's like the love interest, but she's not really. She's not really love interest in this movie. You can't even tell. Yeah, it's really just about him. Just getting over. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, even the implied, like, love thing between him and her, like, I don't, it's almost inconsequential to the story. Yeah. And it's just such a, it's such a well-wound, almost noirish kind of movie. Sure. Wouldn't you say? I mean, like, I also get the feeling, like, so, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, nobody wins, right? Because there's no money. But I feel like there is the money there still. Yeah, I kind of wondered that too. So he ends up he ends up doing this job that's supposed to be a setup. But criminals he's working for, they double cross Bruce Stern. Right. And they try to take the money. And they try to screw over the driver, but the driver's ready for him. You right. Know, he doesn't believe in guns. But he actually always has a gun. Right. Yeah. So good. Dude, that scene's so great. He never wants to shoot anyone, but he'll shoot you dead. Yeah. That's so That's good. So cool. So he gets away with the money. He is with, through his, what is the name of the character again? Which one? His handler. Uh, the Connect. Through the Connect, he sets up this cleaning upper. So basically, some guy is going to trade you clean money for your dirty money. Yeah, like it's smaller bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like the, the big bills are hot. Like they're looking for him. So he uh, he has a setup and an exchange. They get the money guy. Yeah. But then um, the one of the guys in the other crew steals uh, Isabella Johnny's purse that has the key. That has the key that has the locker. But see, he gets the two lockers at the beginning of that sequence. Well, oh, okay, so we're going to get there. But right. let me just say, so we're just sort of letting laying out the plot for people. There's this huge chase scene. 
Uh, I mean, there's what two a pickup truck. That's there, amazing. There are two, no, three unbelievable chase scenes. Yeah. All three are great. Again, it's I, I understand post French Connection. Who cares about a chase scene? But fuck you. These yeah, chase, these scenes, chase are scenes are real. Amazing, dude. They're the first good. one, he's trying to get away from three cop cars. Yeah, it's so great, and they're like the big 1970s cop cars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they're yeah, all yeah, yeah. clanking against the ground. And it's very sad. And now, is this is this movie in L.A.? Is this set? It in starts LA? out in New York and then ends up in L.A. But they don't transverse the country. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. No. And I know this for a fact because Milani was like, how are they in L.A. all of a sudden? And I was like, I don't fucking know. The, Did you look up? So you looked up where it was filmed? I do know that the Torchies sequence, because Walter Hill uses the Torchies club in both. No, this, this is all in L.A. It was all filmed in L.A. They're never in New York. No. The whole movie was filmed in L.A. God damn it. I mean, according to IMDb, that's all we can do. Right. Every location. That first chase scene, though, is supposed to be New York. No, it's in L.A. Why did you think it was New York? I don't know why I thought it was New York. The movie never says anything. Right. And it was much like the rest of the movie. It's all implied. But I think it's L.A. I think it's all right. Fine. L.A. According to IMDb, it was all filmed in L.A. at least. Fair enough. But I mean, you get the same thing. What are they, an Internet movie database or something? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, a lot of the movie feels very L.A. to me, but it's certainly not always the most obvious locations. It's not like, oh, here we are, L.A. again, you (laughs) know, whatever. It's it's sort of a grittier, you know, underbelly of L.A. Yeah, they're in like a factory at one point. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there's these three crazy chase sequences. But, again, like you said, when he does the money thing, he gets two lockers. Right. So Bruce Stern's already basically murdered because he doesn't give him really a chance to give up. He just kills this money guy. Yeah. So then after he finally gets the key, this unbelievable chase sequence, he gets the key from this dude who tries to screw him over. Yeah. Uh, He goes to the train station. It seems like the coast is clear. Yeah turns around there's bruce dern with, with his him. whole police force cops. with him holy shit and where'd they get here okay well here you go here's the bag there's no money in the fucking bags so he, he gets off away. clean yeah bruce dern is screwed i, know, I love the response from his fellow cop just looking at him like mm, nah man yeah because at this point he's done a lot of nefarious shit he's to done, to dude, let me tell you this movie does not cast the lapd in the best light i will say that no, no worthwhile movie cast. <laughs> LAPD. I mean, LAPD is the worst. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 gone out of his way. He's definitely, uh, in a way, the driver wins really early on because Bruce Dern has broken every law in order to try yeah. to catch him. But he really wins when not only has Bruce Dern broken all these laws and really, um, really, what's the word I'm looking for? He's compromised. Right. Bruce Dern's very much compromised himself. himself to try and catch and even made himself vulnerable to all kinds of whatever yeah. to catch the, the driver. Yeah. And then he fails. So good. And that's how the movie ends. He's right. just he's done. And that's right. it. And then we don't know does the driver go off with Isabella Johnny? Does he stay a driver? Yeah, None of that he... matters. It's about this moment conflict. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But did you get the feeling that he set that up though that he got the two lockers? And that the other locker... I couldn't figure it out. I'll be honest. I couldn't yeah. figure it out. My thought was that he got the two lockers at the beginning of the sequence. Well, this is very much a movie that um, is kind of made in the editing room. What I mean by that is, yeah. infamously, the film had a whole other subplot to it. Did it? That was cut out entirely such that in originally in the movie, um, Cheryl Smith 
has mm-hmm. a sizable co-starring role. She has a whole subplot to the movie. Really? And when they cut it out, she's out of the whole... She doesn't even exist in the movie anymore. She's not right. even on screen because they cut her out so much. And, why uh, they? Why did they do that? <clears throat> they just removed that whole part of the movie, that whole it's story so crazy. The What's the story supposed to be? Do you know? No idea. Uh, it's just a note on the IMDb. It says, Director Walter Hill regretted cutting these scenes and spoke favorably about Smith's acting skills. Wow. It's kind of huh. crazy, right? Yeah. To have, to have your that whole... That this is the pared down. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, there's also this whole thing where... A lot of releases claim, or there's this is whole like urban legend around there being uh, a longer cut. It says, um, although the rough cut was over two hours long and included one additional action scene, and even though for years the VHS tape had said the length was over two hours, Walter Hill has denied that this version was ever his intended cut and categorically stated that the existence of a longer director's cut is an urban myth. Wow. It's a Mandela effect, maybe. Urban myth, like Pop Rocks and (laughs) Coca-Cola. The U.S. DVD (laughs) includes an introductory sequence that the studio forced Hill to shoot to clarify who the characters are as a deleted scene. But this was dropped from all theatrical prints. Good. Man, look at this. So there's also a quote in here from Larry Gordon, of all people. Uh, He said, if we'd had Clint Eastwood in the film, we'd have been forgiven everything, and they'd have said, it's another Eastwood film about driving cars. If we'd had Steve McQueen, we'd have been compared to Bullet or The Getaway. We were treated as an art film rather than as an action film. We took a unique approach to standard material. We'd go the same way again, but with a different cast, we might have attracted an audience. I believe in returning investors' money, and if I could make the driver again, I'd try to rectify it for a commercial market. When you're writing this kind of script, naturally you think of an action lead like Bronson or Eastwood, and certainly Fox wanted a name. But when we got Ryan, I suggested we make changes to suit his character. This is always the director's prerogative. I mean, it's so... uh, It's such a good movie. Why do you think... I mean, uh, you know, we're not film historians, so I've I've speculated... We're barely film (laughs) appreciated. So I've speculated a couple things, but I just can't fathom why this movie wasn't popular. I have no idea. It's got everything. It is a stellar driving movie. I think Ryan O'Neill is really... Just really good at it. And the, and the, the... the tension between him and Bruce Dern, I think, is great. Yeah, it's awesome. Bruce Dern is great. Bruce Dern actually is what makes the movie for me. Yeah, you Ryan so? O'Neill's cool and all that, but Bruce Dern, like his like dastardly like doing like dealing business in a bar that's like dimly lit with shitty yeah. like criminals. You know what I mean? Like that's what made the movie for me. I thought that's what was the most compelling. Huh? I could so, see that. Yeah, I thought he was he was the best part of the movie for me. He's very much like. Um, the essence of the untrustworthy cop. You know? Yeah, the crooked cop. Yeah. And the thing is, he's not crooked in the way that like we're, you, you might be used to seeing in that. Um, not like a training day crooked. Yeah, he's not like making money on the side or running crime or whatever. He just is so desperate that the driver brings this out in him. This yeah, desperation. he's desperate to catch the he's driver. He's willing to do anything, even something that seems so clearly like a bad idea. Yeah. yeah and he yeah. gets people killed in order to get this guy. Yeah. For sure, even though they're criminals. So Yeah, but still. Yeah, just saying. But um yeah. Overall I really enjoyed the driver. I thought it was a really, really fun movie. Mm-hmm. And uh it it's a thought provoking movie that's also fun. Mm-hmm. From seventy eight. Well and I think it was Mark like the like in the quote like I said, it's it's sort of like 
taken as this art film and i get that because it's visual but i mean this is the thing with walter hill right like i think he's just trying to make fun action movies like i don't think yeah. he's trying to make high art no i don't i don't think i don't so. consider 48 hours high art no you know what i mean but i like, do think 48 hours is is almost as equally an, an unappreciated film in that um people who aren't as familiar with it they think of it as like a comedy buddy flick it's funny yeah because eddie murphy's funny but it's a dark violent movie it's like a not quite an exploitation movie but it definitely has those sort of like no it's the seedling to like the lethal weapon movies and stuff like that's what comes from that sure you know like uh you got this wacky and then this like not so wacky and but it's so good that i i mean no disrespect to lethal weapon lethal weapon is a great movie but 48 hours is to me a better film yeah. in a lot of ways it yeah. works well i don't know i don't know i mean walter hill also makes singular things like uh, you know what movie is like the warriors you know nothing I mean? yeah absolutely no other movie like the warriors <sighs> yeah anyway so i think the driver is more similar than to the war like I, it, i'm not surprised he made the warriors after the driver like, right, right, right the driver is very much its own thing it's got its own visual style it very much sort of paints la in a, in a, in its or new york <laughs> i don't know i really want to know why you thought it was new There's york a sign that says new york exchange in the beginning next to the torchies club so i assume it, yeah i don't remember that it's at in all. the very beginning in the first chase you know that you know that torchies is in in third fire and it's in 48 hours ah huh, yeah what's weird about it being in streets of fire is that a chunk of Streets of Fire is filmed? Oh, I guess we'll make the streets. Well, okay, so let's just back up. All right. Um, I think the driver, the driver cited by Edgar Wright, by Nicholas Winding Refn, and by Quentin Tarantino as cool movie that influenced them. Right. I think that's clear. Yeah. If you like seventies films, you like seventies exploitation car chase films. Yeah, crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. has all that, and it's, it has that great. kind of weird swagger that I really like. I love it. The clothes and everything, just the art direction of it all just yeah. looks so cool. You know, the whole thing with the driver where he just he's always wearing the same outfit. Yeah. This black suit with a weird blue shirt. That's unbuttoned. That's just unbuttoned yeah. showing my man's chest. So hair. great. So good. Oh my I god. Mean, I you know, I, I wonder if part of what's going on here is that Ryan O'Neill is a cultural figure that means nothing to us. I see this guy yeah. in this movie. And it's I mean, not I like a he's big. Been, I guess yeah. he's been in other stuff, and people are like, "Oh, yeah." Ryan. Love Story is a big one. I remember when I watched that thing for the first time because everyone was talking about it. This is when I worked in Bayonne, and people talked about movies like yeah. Love Story. Tell me about Love Story. I don't really think about oh, it. Oh, it's fucking terrible. It's just, it's awful. It's a love story. Ryan O'Neill's in it, but um, but here's the thing. I'm looking at his filmography. Ryan O'Neill. Sure, okay, he's in Love Story, so that's what people know him for. His Love Story. He's also in Barry Lyndon. Oh. That's not, you know, that's like an art cool movie, yeah. you know, cool thing. I don't know. I guess I just don't know. I he, don't. He know. doesn't get the name check like a Clint Eastwood does, or, or Chuck Bronson, or yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know. I think that just adds to the charm of this movie, which is why I say this movie is highly recommended if you haven't seen it. Do you feel like he was miscast in this? No, movie? perfect, perfect role, dude. He's a handsome dude, right? I guess a lot of what he did though before this was weird. Really? Well, not weird, but um uh, these sorts of like romantic y drama. You know, okay. He, he uh, beats love, up a man Ramos. Love story, Wild Rovers, What's Up Doc, The Thief Who Came to Dinner, Paper Moon. 
I guess Barry Lyndon was sort of the most interesting thing in some ways. Although I don't know some of these. Nickelodeon, I don't know. A Bridge Too Far, I don't know. And then The Driver. I don't know. Maybe he just has a certain like melodramatic flair that people are associating him with. Yeah. So him in an action role. Yeah, they don't. He's this not, is he's essentially not an action movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's for whatever reason people saw it at the time as like an artsy film. It's very well shot. It's beautifully lit. It's beautifully yeah. blocked and everything. But I mean, I would say the same thing about Southern Comfort. It's like a grimy war film, but it looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I don't know that there's anything. I, I, I would say that there's less visual style. Yeah. Uh, in than there is in the driver and the warriors in forty eight hours. Forty eight hours is definitely not like that. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, no, it's not. Forty eight hours is a lot quicker of a pace. Yeah, they give a lot more to the viewer. This one challenges the viewer a lot more than that movie. But then well, he goes a whole the pop sensibility though. For being honest with each other, so then he goes a whole other direction with Streets of Fire. Yeah, so let's talk about this. So Streets of Fire. When was the first time you saw it? This year. This is the first time you saw it. Uh no, I bought the Blu-ray. They put out a special Blu-ray, right. and that was who put it out. The Arrow put it out. Uh no, actually, um, Code. Uh, no, uh, Twilight Time. I think oh, put it out. Wow. Or Shout Factory. Uh, Shout Factory put it out. They they're doing this Shout Factory Selects series. Mm, right. So it's part of that series as well as uh they also put out um to live and die in L A. Oh wow. Uh, they put out Death of a Salesman. With uh, um, wait, with uh, not De Niro, uh, Pacino, Pacino, I think so, as Willie Loman, yeah, I think so. No shit, that's one, and John Malkovich, yeah, and Gary Sinise, that's uh, the one, dude. That movie rules. Have you seen that? No, I've never seen it. You've never seen Death of a Salesman? No, I have it the Blu ray at home. I oh seen my it. god, that movie is amazing. Is it really good? It's a play. I mean, I know the play. No, but they shoot it like a play. Oh. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, man. Whew, what a movie. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I guess we're buzz marketing right now. But, right, uh, one shout, of my favorite. Shout Selects, they're doing these like slightly uh, uh, artsier or whatever <laughs> things. You know, I saw uh, Death of a Salesman off-Broadway once when I was in college with Brian Dennehy in the role of Willie Loman, and it was an amazing experience. But that's neither here nor there in this discussion <laughs> of Streets of Fire. So you saw it when you got the Blu-ray. Yeah, I knew it was Walter Hill, and I knew that a lot of people I know really liked it. So right. I it just, is awful. I think it's a shit movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude, it's oh so rough to watch. Oh, my God. Oh, also on this uh, Shout Selects thing, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. Yay! One of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, we haven't done an oh, episode yeah. on it, have we? Colors. Buckaroo Banzai Colors. Oh. Uh, Ice-T did the soundtrack. The Chinese Connection, uh-huh. uh, Handmaid's Tale. Oh wow! Hype, The Incredible Shrinking Woman, Midnight Run. Midnight Run's an amazing movie. Oh, I knew there was one. I was I was doing. Sorry, to, this is so boring. But yeah, we're gonna cut this out. Uh, I wanted to get to Nighthawks. Nighthawks. Nighthawks is one of the ones in the child selects, and that's a great movie. Um, fuck you! Is that I'm so Winkler. No, Nighthawks. With Sylvester Stallone? Sylvester Stallone, yeah. Is Winkler in that? No. 
No, he's in that Kings of Flatbush. Oh, okay. It's also kind of like Nighthawks. Man, I'm going anyway. to write about all these Shot Selects movies. I think they're really good. That's so awesome. Or at least really the ones that they run. sent me for free. Yeah, that's cool, uh, man. was a few of them. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't get Streets of Fire sent for free. I paid money for this movie. Right, 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 right. And I'm glad I did. Okay, let's talk about it. So uh, Streets, Streets of, of Fire, Fire starts with... It is a rock and roll... A rock and roll fable is what it's called. Fable. as. It's the, yes. one of the title screens is that. <laughs> it's like a, a rock, rock and roll, and roll fable. fable, which I think is an apt description of the film. It's so, um, rock and So the IMDb says, a mercenary is hired to rescue his ex-girlfriend, a singer who's been ca- kidnapped by a motorcycle gang. <laughs> the film stars Michael Pere, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis. Leaving. Uh, leaving. Amy Madigan. Willem Dafoe, yeah, Deborah Van Valkenburg. Uh, who else is in this? Uh, Bill Paxton, yeah, with a crazy um, pompadour and a missing tooth. Uh, yep, Robert Townsend, yeah, uh, Grandal Bush, uh, McKetty Williamson. Oh, there was someone else in this. Oh, Ed Begley Jr. Yeah, he's like the bum. Oh, man, there's so many good people in this movie. Yeah, no, okay. It's, okay, here's the thing that I disliked. Okay, well, let's let's talk about the movie. Oh, oh, okay, the- so um, it's set in a nowhere time in a nowhere place, basically. Under the L, it looks like. Uh, parts of it were shot in Chicago under the L. They created a tarp for this movie so that they could shoot during the day, even though it was all at night. Right. The tarp is like eight blocks long it's like wow. the longest tarp ever used in a film <laughs> this is actually uh at the time i don't know if it's been surpassed now but at the time it was the law the largest controlled set outside ever in the history of film wow they shut down, all the motorcycles they shut down seven blocks hung this tarp it rained when it wasn't supposed to rain it didn't rain when it was supposed wow. to rain and they shot most of it during the day even though the film occurs almost entirely at night Right. With only a couple of day sh- scenes, all the stuff that wasn't filmed in Chicago was filmed in L.A. So uh-huh. hence torchies, right? That's in L.A. Totally in L.A. Um, Not New York. Nope. Um, uh, they had a closed set for large portions of it. The all the nightclub stuff was a closed set. Well, like they what's built the, what's interiors. the story about? Let's talk about the story. So I just wanted to get some of that stuff out. That, that it was actually a pretty huge production for Walter Hill, which he was able to get an almost entirely blank check for because of Forty Eight Hours. Right. Um, the film. Uh, there's a local musician. She's really well known, played by a then nineteen year old Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Yeah. And she is, is this pre Outsiders. Yeah, Outsiders was what eighty. Uh, I don't know if it's pre. She had been in. She was the only established name in the film. Rick Moranis wasn't established at this point? Nope. He was SCTV. Oh, yeah. Done, it's before Ghostbusters. I think he'd only done like one other movie than this. Yeah. Diane Lane had done, thir- at 19, had done 13 films before wow. this one. Huh. That's funny. Um, and in fact, at 19, Walter Hill, even though she was very famous, right. Walter Hill thought she was too unknown, or not too unknown, too young for the role. Right. Uh, and only because she auditioned and did this like crazy performance did he take her for the The movie. dance performance? Yeah. That's amazing. Um, uh, Walter or Michael Pere was still pretty unknown. Willem Dafoe was very. He had only done one other movie before this one, <laughs> and that was that uh, the one about the bikers. Yeah, the the Loveless, which yeah. was uh, Catherine Bigelow's first movie. Huh. I watched it the other day. It's actually really good if you like really slow 
Phillips, which I do. <laughs> it's literally just motorcycle dudes hanging out. It's kind nothing, of almost, speed. Oh, almost nothing happens. It's really great. Um, so Streets of Fire, it's very much like a fucking comic book. Nothing makes sense. It squishes together 80 stuff with 50 stuff. All Everything is retro. So, oh, like we said, so um, Michael Perret is this bounty hunter guy, um, uh, very much this badass dude. He is back in town, sees his ex-girlfriend perform, played by Diane Lane. She's kidnapped by this biker gang. Yeah, with leaving and uh, leaving and Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Uh, this it's biker gang is the most homoerotic biker gang in the history of biker. Willem gangs. Dafoe is literally wearing latex waders. <laughs> he had no shit. I don't actually know that they're latex, but they look like they're. Latex. They look like they're okay. Latex leather or something. Weathers, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. waders. Yeah, dude. So the movie opens with. Diane Lane in concert with her yep. rockabilly band. <laughs> uh, yeah, her that's band fair. looks like a straight up Morrissey band, um, but like Morrissey, like your Arsenal era Morrissey. Um, they're great. They're awesome. Uh, I love "Tonight Is Meant for the Young" or whatever the song yeah. is. <laughs> we should so maybe, maybe we'll drop it in at this point. Try to do a little creative editing. Nice, but uh.
Alright, alright, cool. Um, yeah, but it's just funny because it's a concert and then the girl from. Who, who's the sister? Michael Curry's sister? She was in like a bunch of TV shows and like. She was in a lot of other. She was in, also in The Warriors. Um, she was, and I always forget this actress. Um. Oh, yeah, Deborah Van Valkenburg. Yeah, so they're all at the concert, right? And everybody is losing it. And Diane Lane is, like, going hard. She's, like, dancing and running. Oh, my God, she's pointing her fingers. It's so great. And then you see the biker gang, and they invade the concert. But it's just initially just, like, four people. And they're just standing there, and they're backlit, so they're silhouetted. And they're just not moving, whereas the whole crowd is dancing and going wild. And then they just rush the stage and grab Diane Lane. Just like, yeah, it's ha. amazing. It's yeah. unbelievable. And then leaving, high quality filmmaking. Dude, leaving punches Rick Moranis, who's like the fast talking shyster. Rick like, Moranis is an asshole the oh whole my movie. God. And it's so good. The thing is, okay, here. The whole movie, Rick Moranis is talking these snappy, like, well, what do you think, hun? Like, he's got these, like, side mouthed, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So shitty. What? Yeah, You're it, insane. no, it's no, amazing. No, no. The writing is so good. The writing is not good it's in this movie. It's so snappy. All the dialogue and fun. in this movie is so weird. It is exactly like the Warriors. It is in fact it is almost not exactly the same like the Warriors script from the Warriors. <laughs> it is because it's all these like lines that are very it's much almost performative. Non-sequiturs. Yeah, they're no, 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 no. It's so good, dude. You're insane right now. So then, um, uh, our man Michael Perret gets in this fight in a diner. Well, it's so good. The diner he meets fight. up with. This his, is all happening. He meets up with the his, credits. Are he done. meets up with his Might fucking add. sidekick McCart, which McCoy. The, but yeah. the thing about McCoy is that it was originally written as a Hispanic man, and <laughs> this actress, she was you know auditioning for a different role, and she was just like, I want this role. And and so they rewrote the whole thing for her, and she's so good as his goddamn sidekick. Man, so brutal. You're yeah, insane. The, okay, dude. and then him with the goddamn uh, trench coat and the gun he and looks all like the motorcycle fighting. cosplay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good. Exactly. It's <laughs> totally like comic book, adventure yeah, okay. film, right. fantasy. Side How th- is this different than The Warriors? I am 100% of the opinion that you cannot like The Warriors and dislike Streets of Fire. Whoa. Period. Whoa, period. Period. Oh, my God. Unless you're a poser, which you are. So. <laughs> oh, man. Because Woo. all of the stuff, I, I think, okay, here's the thing. If you are one of these people who doesn't understand The Warriors, okay, and you think The Warriors is a 50s film, or a 70s film. Right. Then maybe I get it. <laughs> but the whole Streets of Fire thing where it's timeless. It so is you feel as though weird, this can exist in the same weird, timeless dystopia. I think it's. I think what he learned from the Warriors, which is I can just do all these crazy costumes and crazy outfits, and it doesn't matter that it doesn't make any sense oh. because it's its own thing. That's the same thing for Streets of Fire. Streets of Fire is not, I mean, literally some people's, some people interpret Streets of Fire as a post-apocalyptic film. Yeah. That like I could the world that. has yeah. collapsed and this is what's left. I don't think it's meant to be that. I think the idea of rock and roll fable is mm. exactly what it's supposed to be. Like just this weird. A fable story doesn't occur in a real time. It just yeah. occurs it occurs in rock and roll. Okay. We are in the midst of rock and roll. And rock and roll is 
uh, beautiful performing lady, angry biker gang, tough loner with a gun, with a fucking shit. That is, ro- that is what rock and roll is. Uh, scared black doo-wop group who, uh, <laughs> who is just along bus? for the ride, yeah. you know? And then gets on the stage with rock star lady. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Oh, Which, by the way, is great. Fucking all, those, all okay. that stuff is great. I dislike the movie, but I will say that there are things of the movie that I did enjoy. That being said, I really liked like the rock sequences with Diane Lane. I think awesome. those are really fun. all the performance stuff. Which yeah. like he was, which is like he was so, so nervous long. about. They're filming. not like little bits. They're he had like never full songs. he had never filmed live music before, and I think for him, for for Walter Hill, when I say him, this was an intimidating thing. But I think he pulls it off really well. They have a lot yeah. of energy. I think it's really well no, done. No, it looks good. It looks cool. This, the dialogue gets me. I don't know what it is. Michael Pere in this movie is just so. <laughs> So weird. Okay, I'm not talk about let's skirt talk, drive. Let's, okay, let's, you know that let's, whole sequence. In let's there? let's uh, uh, let's back up a little bit okay. and talk about. Yeah, so um, he'd never filmed live performance. No, but you were talking about Michael Pere, and that's what we were going to talk about there. Oh yeah, like the scene so let's, where let's talk. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about. Okay, so we gave you a little bit of the plot. Regardless, Michael Pere's character. Yeah, he goes to rescue Diane Lane's character. Um, he attacks the the hideout of the motorcycle gang. There's, he shoots all the the, the gas. There's lots of shooting and fire. explosions and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They he's, get he's away. Up motorcycles as they ride by. And there's a giant. Uh, so they get away, and then there's a big fight scene between him and Willem Dafoe using uh, sledgehammers. Sledgehammers, which is the best thing ever. <laughs> Josh is like, why do you love everything I hate about this movie? <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Uh, I would rather hang out with Willem Dafoe and Lee Ving than Michael Pere and his sister. I don't know why you feel this way about Michael Pere. I love Michael Pere in this <laughs> do movie. Do you, though? Do you love Michael Pere? I mean, okay. Is he as cool in this movie as Willem Dafoe is with his weird... <laughs> Waiters with his weird, with yeah. his weird homoerotic uh, motorcycle gang. No, I love the homoerotic motorcycle gang. Yeah, I'm all about dude, it. They it's look great. like they're having way more fun than Michael Perez. But Michael Perez sending telegrams. He punches out Diane Lane on a train. Like, come on, man, dude, Willem Dafoe. I mean, okay, he's creepy too. I'm gonna say it. There's a weird creepy scene when 19 year old Diane Lane's tied to a bed. Willem Dafoe saying weird shit. I'm okay with that. Well, I'm not okay with it, but it's fucking weird. But whatever. It is, a, it is a little awkward because everyone in the movie is supposed to be young. Right. Only Diane Lane is actually young. <laughs> and that's Willem a little weird. is actually never young. Which is he's weird. never been young in his yeah, life. Yeah, never, ever no, no, been no, no, young. No. He just, but he's good in this role. I, I Okay. I, I will go ahead and say that Michael Pere is not actually the strongest part of the movie. Uh, but Diane Lane is amazing. Diane Lane's great in the movie. She's Willem wonderful. Dafoe is amazing. Yeah, he's good too. He is. Good I too. like Rick Moranis in this movie. I don't understand why you don't. He's like such Rick a Moranis. shithead in the movie, and the lines are so fucking like they just sound so forced to me. No, they sound like old movies. Yeah. This is how every movie is before 1960. <laughs> okay. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. The is snappy, this like... was this movie filmed before 1955? Yes. Then they sound like Rick Moranis. That is what this movie is. Fair enough. And Fair I think enough. that's part of the timelessness of it. Is this uh, now? Um, I know from uh, from listening to an interview with Walter Hill that uh, the tension between them is not just in the script; it was in real life. Through Rick uh, Moranis and Rick Moranis spent the entire film. 
acting exactly like his character, uh-huh. who was basically based on how Rick Moranis is in real life. <laughs> and uh, that's not true. Rick Moranis is a sweetheart, but he is very snappy and he's very uh-huh. jokey. And Michael Prey is actually a slow person like he is in the movie. <laughs> and uh, Rick Moranis spent the whole time making fun of Mike Prey. <laughs> um, so the whole point is apparently this film was this is the first part of a trilogy yeah and the center of the trilogy funny. was going to be mike Perret. yeah and that the rest of the cast was sort of like a rotating thing uh and the movie like bombed like nobody saw it uh and that was sort of why it didn't go forward for me personally i'm ready for more mike Perret. <laughs> what other michael Perret movies first of all mike Perret sounds weird what other michael Perret movies are you like referencing now the no, I just mean because what Streets other, of Fire was what are so. Other Michael Perry movies Streets, that you like? Streets of Fire was so. When I, I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is Streets of Fire is, is to me good enough that, that they could do two more movies of this. Yeah, easily. I would have loved that. That would have been amazing. Man. Now, okay, does Michael Perry as an actor work in everything? No, I mean my man has not done that much great stuff. <laughs> I'm willing to admit that. Um, I the like, only I other certainly like I remember him, I certainly is like the him Philadelphia Experience. I certainly like him in Bone Tomahawk. Who's uh, he in Bone Tomahawk? Well, if you're not going to pay attention, that's not my problem. But he's in Bone Tomahawk. No. Yeah, he is, man. So, you know, you need to get with it. He's in Blood Rain, the Third Reich as well. <laughs> he's also in 2010's Cool Dog. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was in Bone Tomahawk. The rest of the stuff I only know because I'm looking. He, oh, you know what's crazy? He plays a character named Cody in 2008's The Road to Hell. <laughs> but uh, I actually heard that the script for The Road to Hell is an adaptation of one of the supposedly, like The Road to Hell is is like um, an unofficial sequel to Streets of Fire. Huh. It's like adapted from one of the scripts that never got made that was supposed to be this. That's cool. amazing. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. That's like a rumor. Um, okay, so is it true that he didn't really have much of a career in the long run? Yes. Like I'm actually looking through his movies and being like, what the fuck, Michael Perret? Where are all these goddamn... <laughs> what the fuck, Michael Perret? <laughs> like, look at the... Oh, my gosh. Uh, he was in 1995's Village of the Damned. Ah, there you go. Uh, Point of Impact, Deadly Heroes, Into the Sun, Philadelphia. Experience. If if we were a if we were a uh, action movie podcast, which they exist, movies that just watch action movies, and some of those action movies by our standards are bad. I mean, he was in Eddie and the Cruisers, so that's a thing. Oh yeah, Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah, man, Joey Pants. Yeah, no, he's a cool dude. Okay, respect my man Michael Perry. Okay, that's probably why he got the Streets of Fire job. Right, because of Eddie, Eddie and the, the Cruisers. Cruisers. On the dark side. Probably not. Oh, probably, yeah. Probably not, probably not because of Eddie and Cruisers 2. On the dark side. Or World Gone Wild. Oh, yeah. Dude, Moon 44. So okay, so he's been in a lot of bad movies, but. <laughs> <sighs> Streets of Fire is not one of them. No, I fucking <laughs> love this movie. I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Is it true that um, if the main luminaries of film Twitter that I like. Uh-huh actually listen to our podcast uh-huh. would they probably stop listening to our podcast because of your, <laughs> oh, your opinion of streets of fire yes it's true streets of fire 
is a is a reclaimed movie by that segment of the community, but you're not on film Twitter like that. So I get no. that you feel no social pressure to like None. Streets of Fire. None. None whatsoever. But I gotta you know be honest. why? Because I do what I want, Liam. I get that, but I gotta be honest. I watch and like what I want. I get it, but I gotta be honest. I liked it before that. Like I don't <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I dig this movie. I think it's fun. No, I I, I dug this movie too, to be fair. But watching it again through adult eyes. You suddenly realized all the things about it that yeah, were not that, like I was like, oh, my dad was right about this shit. That's terrible. I just think you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to this go is, revisit This is it. what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to find someone who has Streets of Fire on 35mm. Oh. We're going to do a Cinepunk screening of Streets of Fire. I would back that. That and I would do. we'll do a discussion. We'll find two people to counterbalance someone we know who loves it like I do, <sighs> someone we know who hates it like you do, and, and then we'll, we'll have, have a round war. table. Oh, so no, good. Probably not a war. Probably not that. <laughs> we probably won't pull crazy. I mean, this is- I would like to be known as I the know chairman. the film is too stylized because my man's shotgun he pulls out of his goddamn- This is like from a Western- well, not only that, I mean, it is, he's, char- his character is clearly supposed to be a Western character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when he shoots this thing, it shoots explosive shells, I it feel does. like. It does. And it's like all silver, <sighs> like chromed out. Like It felt like, it felt like a John Woo. You ever notice whenever anyone <laughs> sh- sh- fires anything with a long barrel in a John Woo movie, it's basically like firing a rocket launcher? Yeah, like the, whatever, whatever they shoot. Hits, it's like, boom! Yeah, it's just like, like bah, bah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of how it is in this movie, too. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, the sledgehammer fight at the end was pretty funny if by funny you mean badass as hell <laughs> they could have just done a normal gang fight but they're like no man we brought sledgehammers and the cops it's time for our sledgehammer the one fight. police is like it's your show now man <laughs> it's like all right cool i love that too yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous oh man ah okay all right you know what? maybe i've come around maybe i'm a little too harsh with my declaration that i dislike this did movie. you watch this thing by yourself no i watched it with me lie did Milani also hate the movie? Yes. I think this is it. Milani poisoned you against this Yeah, movie. you think so? Well, I mean, in the sense that I probably liked it more because I was watching it with Suze, who was like having fun with it, yeah. and with Justin Lore, who didn't even know what we were watching. He's like, what is this fucking thing? Because we were supposed to watch horror movies, but it was on. I was like, can I finish this movie? He's like, sure. So we were watching it, and he's like, why is Willem Dafoe in this? What is this fucking movie? <laughs> and we were having so much fun with it, like being amazed by it. That, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's what it is. It's like we, you went into this thing like, okay, I used to love this thing. I yeah. generally know what I'm getting. Oh, no, it's not as good as I remember. So, I went into this like, okay, all I know is this is a Walter Hill movie, and I hear it's crazy. <laughs> oh, guess what? It's crazy. It's crazy in a Walter Hill movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, I'll allow that maybe my perspective is tainted by time. I, I will say... Uh, th- I, I think that, okay, uh, you know, if we take into account, if we take into account aspects of filmmaking like um, set design, costume mm. design, lighting, camera work, like all these art Epic stuff in this movie. Yeah. that you need in order to make a movie, this fucking kills way more than The Warriors. I yeah. think it's more successful image-wise right. than The Warriors. He really achieves what I think he's trying to achieve with which Warriors. Which is this weird, which is not, no is time. not to say that Warriors fails. Warriors no. is fucking great. But in but, Warriors, like New York is directly tied to Warriors. And, it wouldn't be Warriors right. without New York. And there's a limitation to what he's able to do with that budget that he doesn't have with this movie, where he mm-hmm. was able to make probably really bad decisions <laughs> about how to make this movie because he could spend the money, which he couldn't. Yeah, I don't think it was. I mean, it sounded like he spent a million bajillion dollars, but it, you know, yeah. he had more of ability to make some of those decisions he couldn't make with the Warriors. Is all the writing great? I like it, uh-huh. but 
I can admit that some of the dialogue is kind of stilted. I think that is like, I think that's true of the Warriors too. It's just um, in this movie, it's a little more obvious. Yeah. Well, it seems like they're going for it more in this movie. And is Michael Perry the best actor? No, but I think he is similar to Ryan O'Neal, similar to whoever the dude is in the Warriors. Uh They're these quiet, you know, sort of stoic, brooding white dudes. And I think it works for this movie. Uh Um, I think it's only... A little difficult because he is paired with Rick Mor- Moranis, who's just like, it's like highlights even more. I love that they hated each other. He tried to fight Rick Moranis. Yeah, it's so who tries good. to fight Rick Moranis? He just hated him. Oh, man. so great. Uh, but even if I don't necessarily love Michael Prey's performance, and even if I think that you're right, aspects of Rick Moranis' performance are grading, mm. it doesn't matter. Because Diane Lane is a fucking goddess. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. always been underrated as an actress yeah. from day one. I here she, that. here yeah. she is in movie number fourteen, still killing it. Uh-huh. Then still kills it now today. Yeah, like she is unbelievable. She's amazing in this movie. Fucking Willem Dafoe showing us that he could literally swallow a whole baby. <laughs> he his mouth opened so large in this movie. He's unbelievable. In this yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. He's like a snake that can swallow an egg. And okay, can leaving act. No, no. But you just cast Lee Ving to be Lee Ving, and, and he, he nails does it. it. Yeah, he he's nails so it. So Lee Ving, the most Lee so, Ving in this movie. I gotta say, and then I love all of the random sh- people who show up in this movie. So many random, yeah. like soon to be Ed famous Begley actors. Jr. Yeah, like Ed Begley Jr. Fucking uh, Bill, you know, rest in peace, Bill Paxton. Like, <laughs> just unbelievable. Like, even just seeing Bill Paxton, I'm not gonna lie, it made me a little emotional. This is yeah. I watched it. Um, right after he died was the, oh. the the most recent time I watched it. So I've only watched it twice. But um, the well, uh, the most recent time I watched it was right after that. And I, I remember thinking, like, oh, oh man, Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton was great. In this. He just uh, he's great. He just shows up in things, and it just makes me happy. <laughs> so I, I got to go with positive on this. I, I okay, look, if you are you know some of our listeners are people who take their films very seriously. Yeah, this is not the movie to do that. No. If you are someone for whom the Warriors is about the level of depth you want, is just like (laughs) walking around, kicking ass, doing it. Streets of Fire is for you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's fun. It's got all that energy. Like, I think it's for you. If you need something more, I will fully admit this movie is vacuous in the sense (laughs) of, like, there's nothing to discuss philosophically or intellectually. But that's not the point. That's not what Walter Hill does. Walter Hill makes entertaining films. It's all he's ever wanted to do. Is he always successful? Fuck no. But (laughs) is he pretty successful? Yes. A lot of his movies are super entertaining. Yeah, I would agree. So, And I think Streets of Fire is that. Now now that I've watched it, do I think maybe Southern Comfort is, is a better movie? Sure. Hmm. If I could do it over again, I would have had us do the driver in Southern Comfort. But okay. Streets hey. of Fire is the flashy, fun, whatever thing. I, I just, picked it know. because I did love it so much as a child. Yeah. yeah. So that's why. I also I... didn't know if we could get a copy of Southern Comfort, and then uh, we just happened to have a copy. So right. whatever. Hey, there you go. Oh, how it is. So, um, so, okay. So Josh is going to go with not recommend Streets of Fire unless you're inclined to like that sort of movie. Right. I'm going to go ahead and say I think you should see it. I will also caveat to um, if you're into Walter Hill movies, you know, if that's your style. Yeah. If, you if like, you're like, I've never seen any Walter Hill movies, I'm going to start with Streets of Fire. No, start with The Driver. I think you would start with The Driver. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. All right. So um, that's our episode. Thank yeah. you for listening. Good talk. Um, is there anything we need to 
hype plug up. or hype up or anything. Uh, Let me go ahead and, and remind everybody about Black Sun Dispatches. Yeah. I just think it's really good. Awesome. And, it, you know, um, I just think it could really grow an audience. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and plug that. I'm going to plug the mandate, John Wren. Yeah. Show's cooking. It's doing good. Um, also, it seems far off, but um, at the end of September, uh, our friends at Exum Films are doing uh, Terror Weekend at, at Mahoning. the Mahoning. Yeah. Um, also, Hearthon tickets will probably go on sale soon, too, so keep an eye out yeah. for that. But Terror Weekend, you can get tickets now, and I think um, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So it should be I awesome. Would, I would hype that up as well. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, Kochiyama Records out on our Bandcamp yeah. page, kochiyama.bandcamp.com. Check yeah. it out. Five hits. Um, and like I said, good. and like I said, uh, uh, we, me and Justin were on the final girls and you know, if I'm going to guest on someone else's podcast, they, I, I hope I can get them a few more listeners. So final girls, if you're into horror, we talk about, um, Piranha 3d and deep blue sea two movies <laughs> that probably don't need that much analysis, right. but we talked about them anyway. Here we are. And I, I got real riled up about Piranha 3d. I'm not, I'm going to own it that I, I got riled up. I said lots of crazy things. So check it out. <laughs> okay. And that's it. Episode 68, done and done. All right. Talk to you soon. See you later. Smoke bomb.